At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Implausible as it sounds, since they are as imbecilic as they look, they have to have coordinated this. The fascists have put on another push to sell January 6th as some kind of false flag operation for reasons that are pretty easy to suss out. The news here, I think, is that the coordination, the collusion, if you will, is principally between Elon Musk and Donald Trump. And the explanation for that unholy and unhinged alliance is a little bit more impenetrable. Musk is doing it with his holier-than-thou analysis of Twitter's de-platforming of Trump. Trump has picked it up with interviews in advance of the House Committee report and its criminal referrals and his likely indictments. And even Marjorie Trailer Park Green was doing it with her, if I'd planned it, we would have won dribble, but of course, she screwed up what she was supposed to say. Consider, bluntly, after the January 6th committee reports its findings and makes its referrals, a sizable percentage of this country will no longer describe itself as uncertain or ambivalent or even forgetful about Trump's coup on January 6th. That newly informed or reinformed demographic could be 2% or 22%. But whatever it is, it will be enough to put Trump right back behind the public and criminal eight balls as clearly as he was one year and 341 days ago. And it will also put the Republican Party and Kevin McCarthy and Marjorie Taylor Greene right back behind those same eight balls. Thus, it is imperative that Trump pushes the nonsensical narrative that the protesters he said he would take to the Capitol were then somehow replaced literally minutes later by Antifa replicants, or they were only inspired to violence because Nancy Pelosi. And thus, Trump 
picked up the dead carcass of this alternate timeline in an interview with Christina Bob for One American News. And yes, I know Christina Bob is one of his lawyers, and that would be a fatal conflict, but for the fact that she's about as much of a journalist as the latest aging actress on the latest TV infomercial. They don't want to know about Nancy Pelosi turning down 10,000 soldiers because she doesn't look like the look. Now, if you had 10,000 soldiers for, you know, hundreds of people, they wouldn't have gotten anywhere near the place. It wouldn't have been there would have been no no January 6th. There wouldn't have been a January 6th. That might be the problem. Oh, no. Well, there are a lot of people that think they wanted it. But but if you had soldiers circling and I recommended it strongly, but it's her decision. She's the one that has to make the decision. And just for the record, and I feel like I'm reading the may cause death warning on the side of a package of cigarettes. Just for the record, Trump never signed any order to send 10,000 troops or one troop to the Capitol. And the Speaker of the House has no control over any branch of the military. And since there is no governor there, the National Guard in the District of Columbia can be activated only by the President of the United States, and nobody can turn him down. But of course, if we've learned nothing else these seven years, it doesn't have to be true in Trump land. The fascists don't even have to believe what Trump says. They just have to be able to say, of course it is a fact. We believe in facts. It is a fact that Trump said this lie. So it's a Republican fact. So Trump is pushing the January 6th false flag nonsense. Of course it's a fact. It's a fact that Trump said that lie. So it's a Republican fact. And so did Marjorie Trailer Park Green in the now infamous speech in New York Saturday night, which should have resulted in the lame duck house calling an immediate expulsion vote, but it won't. Because even Democrats frequently see only the opportunity for political umbrage and not the danger. And many of them would rather say, she's pointing a gun at me. How dare she? Rather than, you know, disarm her. Her speech served a triple purpose, I think. It allowed her to endorse the violence of January 6th and political violence in general. It allowed her to embellish her own brand as a violent fascist who will win the next coup because she owns more guns. And most importantly, it was supposed to underscore that Republicans and conservatives and fascists and Trumps could not have carried out the coup because they loved this country and thus it had to have been Pelosi and the Democrats. But being an idiot, as she is, Marjorie Traitor Green blew it. She was supposed to insist that the Democrats did it or Antifa or an army of Nancy Pelosi clones with Jewish space lasers. Well, anything. It doesn't matter who did it. Remember, if you lie about it, it's still a fact that you said it. Therefore, it's a Republican fact. But Green couldn't remember all that. Her area of expertise is not membrane stuff. It is, in her own words, quote, a butt plug and a dildo, unquote. So she used the lie about there being no guns in the coup and thus wound up proving the obvious. If, as she says, it's the Second Amendment conservatives who would have brought guns to a coup and there were guns at the coup, then the guns at the coup were, you with me? The guns at the coup were brought by Second Amendment conservatives. 
it is worth listening to the tape of Marge again, just so you can hear carefully as Marge screws up the narrative yet again. Then January 6th happens, and next thing you know, I organized the whole thing along with Steve Bannon here. And I want to tell you something, if Steve Bannon and I had organized that, we would have won. blew it. Then she spent much of yesterday morning insisting all that was, quote, sarcasm, that she was making fun of Joe Biden, even the part in which she endorsed violent coups and promised to win the next one and never mentioned Joe Biden. So Trump is again selling a Democratic false flag scenario. And Taylor Greene was supposed to sell a Democratic false flag scenario, but wound up disproving it. Where and why does Elon Musk come into this doing Trump's bidding for him? Well, the obvious part first, Musk is a fascist and not a particularly intelligent fascist. He is an easily led fascist. He's also strung out on something. It may be nothing more than buying Twitter and suddenly being the gigantic Gulliver in the land of the tiny Lilliputians who haven't had anybody to worship since Trump was banned. But Whatever, Musk is high as a kite on the power, if nothing else. Under pressure from hundreds of activist employees, Musk tweeted yesterday, Twitter deplatforms Trump, a sitting U.S. president, even though they themselves acknowledge that he didn't violate the rules. Then he retweets Barry Weiss, who is the female Matt Taibbi, but with even more lack of credibility and lack of intelligence. And he omits the small details that if it is against, say, federal law to call for or begin the violent overthrow of the government of the United States of America, you don't also need some boutique social media company to have its own rules saying it's against their rules, their Twitter rules to call for or begin the violent overthrow of the government of the United States of America, that the federal laws are sufficient and take precedent over your little rules. And by the way, it might make the executives or your little company accessories before the fact to the attempt to overthrow. And theoretically, they might be arrested, so they really do sort of have to act whether or not it says so in their rules. This is not something Elon Musk understands, nor is it something Elon Musk can permit in his world. Twitter rules must take precedence over federal code because he owns Twitter, just as Twitter files are more important than historical fact, just as Elon Musk is above all laws, just as what you heard on the tape is only 10% of the crowd at the Dave Chappelle show booing him, and then he changed his story to a major fight broke out in the audience just as I was about to talk, so didn't get to say much because he's Elon Musk, super genius, And guess what? Of course it's a fact. It's a fact because I, Elon Musk, said this lie. So, it's an Elon Musk fact. Narrator, when Chappelle brought him on stage, Elon Musk was booed. Make some noise for the richest man in the world. 
They're not booing, they're cheering Elon Boo. And when Musk started to talk, guess what? He was booed again. And this was before the news that Musk has done such a spectacular job at Twitter and at Tesla, which sank to 167 yesterday. It had been 402 one year ago this month. That spectacular news that Forbes says that as of yesterday, Elon Musk is no longer the richest man in the world, that it's now Bernard Arnault who owns Louis Vuitton and Moet Chandon and Hennessy Cognac and Marc Jacobs and other overpriced stuff. Nice work, Elmo. Anyway, the remaining part to this puzzle is why Musk is so desperately and obviously participating in Trump's latest bid to call January 6th somebody else's fault. Anybody else's fault. Musk's pandering to the QAnon or QElon crowd, his embrace of con men like Glenn Greenwald and Robbie Starbuck and the COVID deniers, has clearly been leading up to this remarkable conclusion that Trump was somehow illegally deplatformed by Twitter. Why? Now, barring further evidence, honest reporting requires me to conclude the answers are the obvious ones. Musk is desperate for Trump's approval and to lure him back to Twitter. And Musk is just another moron who fell into money and wants whatever form of government that will give him more money. Most businessmen are not more complicated than that, especially the ones who, like Musk, don't do a very good job of hiding their fundamental awareness that at heart they do not really understand how they became successful Uh, nor at hiding their terrible transcendent fear that it will all go away as fast as it had arrived. Musk has decided he needs Trump, and he will do whatever Trump needs to service Trump. And lastly, and I intended this as an entirely unrelated topic, you may think otherwise, I could not possibly comment, the actual tape of Marjorie Trailer Park Trash Green talking Saturday night about her real expertise has finally surfaced. By the way, you can pick up a butt plug or a dildo at Target CBS nowadays. Still ahead. Sam Bankman-Fried arrested. I did not see that coming. You think the World Cup in Qatar has been a disaster? The vice president of the European Union has reportedly been arrested as part of a massive scandal in which that parliament was bribed by Qatar. The Toronto Blue Jays may have just thrown $63 million down a rat hole. For what does it profit a team to sign a pitcher whose entire success is based on holding the baseball indefinitely until the batter gets disoriented if they're installing a pitch clock that will prevent him from doing that next season? J.D. Vance wants a national porn ban. Why, that's bad news for Ted Cruz. And for seven years, it was just a rumor. And then that glorious day, he boasted about it. The day Rupert Murdoch fired me personally. And then 
had to pay me $100,000 a month for eight months. That's next. I still have the money. This is Countdown. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann, my crazy friend. Thanks. Still ahead, if the pitcher depends on stalling till the batter is disoriented, why would you sign that pitcher for next year if there's going to be a new rule giving him just 15 seconds to throw a pitch? Plus, no, I have not been fired a lot, but yes, I have been fired personally by Rupert Murdoch. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need. You can help. Every dog has its day. We go to Bend, Oregon, and Hershey. So named because of beautiful coat, the color of various kinds of chocolate. Handsome chihuahua mix, I think. Beautiful clear eyes. A senior found abandoned in a backyard with other dogs who literally survived on the kindness of a stranger who stopped by daily to feed them. But Hershey's teeth were in terrible shape. He's had 31 of them fall out or be removed. Other than that, he's in surprising good health. Loves people, loves cats, loves dogs. Still has a long road back. Soft Paws Rescue has started a fundraiser for him on Cuddly. I have a warm spot for Hershey. My senior rescue, Mine, had teeth so bad they all had to come out. When they did, it was as if he'd been reborn. He gets younger every day. His appetite tripled, and one day I caught him dipping the harder treats in the water bowl to soften them up so Hershey could use and will not waste your donations. You can find Hershey on my Twitter feeds. Please retweet him and pledge if you can. I thank you, and Hershey thanks you. Postscripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline Washington, the website TPM, has obtained the 2,319 text messages that former Trump chief of staff Mark Meadows turned over to the January 6th committee. They are parceling them out, author by agonizing author. And today you do not want to be either Pennsylvania Congressman Scott Perry or Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs. 
Not that either of them was not already suspected in one or more of the various Trump coup attempts, but in black and white, it is damning. A week after the election, Scott Perry was trying to convince Meadows and thus convince Trump to seize all the voting machines in all the swing states. And soon he was introducing Jeffrey Clark to both of them in hopes of getting him named attorney general so he could seize all the voting machines. The texts, meanwhile, tie Congressman Biggs completely into the fake electors scheme. I could not do justice to TPM's reporting or Josh Marshall's analysis in a million episodes, so go and read what they posted at TPM's site. Dateline Nassau, prosecutors for the Southern District of New York and the government of the Bahamas. Confirming earlier reports, Sam Bankman-Fried has been arrested there on criminal fraud charges after his FTX cryptocurrency exchange exchanged $8 billion for a bag of magic beans. This SBF protection was zero. Thank you, Nancy Faust. Dateline Moscow. Yesterday should have been the day the Kremlin would announce Vladimir Putin's annual marathon press conference, the one in which journalists dress up like audience members from the old game show Let's Make a Deal to toss the Russian dictator pre-screen softball questions while he drones on for four hours like, well, bluntly like Trump in a better suit. A spokesman said he might hold it next month or... You know, why are you asking? Why don't you go over there and stand here by this open window? And thank you again, Nancy Faust. This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, Grant Wall's body was returned to this country yesterday morning via JFK Airport in New York. The State Department spokesman Ned Price had two relevant statements. First, there will be a full autopsy conducted, obviously, in this country. And quoting Price... What I can also say is that we have seen no indication of foul play or anything nefarious at this point. We did receive excellent cooperation from our Qatari partners. On the other hand, members of the European Parliament, including reportedly the Vice President Eva Kaili, have been arrested in Brussels as part of a massive investigation and raids at 16 properties in which 600,000 euros in cash plus lots of other stuff were seized. The allegation is bribery and the alleged bribers are the government of Qatar. Baseball's flea market continues. Catcher Sean Murphy goes from Oakland, which used to have a major league team, to Atlanta in a three-club swap that also includes the Milwaukee Brewers. The Brewers get the D.H. William Contreras. Oakland gets a handful of prospects that they can trade away three or four years from now. 
Free agent catcher Christian Vasquez leaves the Astros to sign with Minnesota, and the Toronto Blue Jays have reportedly signed pitcher Chris Bassett away from the New York Mets three years, $63 million. Considering metrics show Bassett was the second most valuable pitcher on the Mets last season, that sounds like a bargain, except... Bassett has control and a good fastball and some setup pitches, but the essential key to his success is to throw off the timing of hitters by a very simple stratagem. He shakes off the pitch signal from his catcher again and again and again. Whether it is sent to him by the new electronic pitch comm system or the old Luddite method of finger waggling, Bassett says no at least twice per at-bat, and some estimates are that he averages four head shakes and thus four long delays per at-bat. Again, so what? Next season, baseball is going to introduce a pitch clock. With nobody on base, a pitcher will have only 15 seconds to begin his delivery of the next pitch, or it is an automatic ball. When somebody is on base, he gets 20 seconds. If it's between batters, he gets 30 seconds. You know how long Bassett is going to survive under that kind of pressure? Well, neither do I. But starting next year, at least there'll be a guy at every ball game with an official clock with which... We can all time him. Ahead, many are fired, few are chosen. For years after Fox Sports got rid of me, the rumors swirled that Rupert Murdoch had personally fired me because I'd had the nerve to completely follow his rules. Real story next. First, the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze to Walter Hudson, an African-American man recently elected to the Minnesota House, a survivor of the Tea Party. Remember the Tea Party? At a hearing of anti-vax nut jobs, Mr. Hudson explained that health professionals or mere civilians who support vaccine mandates are, well, slave owners. The plantation owner who said, I need cotton and you're going to pick it, is morally equivalent to the person today who says, I don't want to get sick, so you have to take the jab. Mm-hmm. I am placing, it is, it is and I want to be clear that I mean exactly what I just said, okay? It's not a gaffe, I mean it. You are equivalent to a plantation owner who enslaved black people and forced them to work for you. If you today, as a medical professional or just a member of the populace, demand that your neighbor take a vaccination to keep you safe. Let's see. Malnutrition, uh, rape, torture, murder, physical labor until you died. Well, that sounds the same as routine public health standards. That have saved mankind from scourges like polio and tetanus and smallpox? Yeah, absolutely the same, Walter Hudson. By the way, if that phony tone and the condescending cadence sounds familiar, Walter Hudson has boasted that he listened to Rush Limbaugh every day. He is a Rush Limbaugh cosplayer. I'm sure that makes Rush Limbaugh happy in hell. And this reminder, however they couch it and whosever voice they use, Walter Hudson and the other vax deniers are hiding the real truth that they're simply afraid of the needles.
The runner-up, Shane Trejo, the chairman of the Michigan 11th Congressional District Republicans, who posts on social media under the really deceptive alias Sean Trujillo. Sheriffs are investigating what is believed to be a threat by Shane Sean Trejo Trujillo made on Facebook towards the community-supported Patmos Library in Jamestown Township, Michigan, also in Michigan, but 100 miles away from Shane Sean's home. The threat, quote, time to shut down the library by force and then perhaps charge the people writing these checks as accessories for child abuse. Mr. Trejo has also previously supported white supremacists. He's already all over social media with that. He now claims that when he said shut down the library by force, he meant force of law. Unclear what he might be charged with, but they should throw in a charge of a really bad alias. But our winner, Senator-elect J.D. Vance of Ohio. Vance has reiterated his call for a national ban on pornography which I find hard to believe since it would send everybody who makes a commercial for any Republican to jail. Plus, this is going to make for an interesting senatorial first meeting with Ted Cruz of Texas, whose Twitter account was not only caught liking a porn video on 9-11, but whose anti-Marco Rubio ad during the 2016 Republican primary season starred one Amy Lindsay. You may remember her from such movies as... Sex sent me to the ER, deviant whores, and I don't know what these initials mean. M I L F. At Bed 365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar, whether it's a walk off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare we are the voice of nascar the green flag is in the air and we are underway the great american race the motor racing network NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes, Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Hmm. Educational films, no doubt. JD, it does not stand for just DVDs, Vance. Today's worst person in the world! To the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me and things I promise not to tell. Over the weekend, watching hockey, 
I had occasion to invoke my days hosting the baseball game of the week and the World Series for Fox, and it reminded me of the delightful way that ended, with me being paid $100,000 a month not to do anything. I have changed jobs a lot, and seldom have the departures included gold watches and going-away parties, at least not going-away parties to which I was invited. But in 43 years in radio and television, I have only actually been fired in the traditional sense of go clean out your desk and get out twice. Once, the order was from a drunken radio executive who did not like the fact that I was 21 years old and he was overruled and he was sent home with a warning by his bosses hours later and I was back on the job 48 hours after that. The other time... When it actually happened, you're fired, clean out your desk. That was, unsurprisingly, at the hands of Rupert Murdoch and Fox, and I mean Rupert Murdoch personally, or so he claims. When I finally convinced NBC News that I was serious about no longer hosting its Monica Lewinsky-a-thon in 1998, the head of NBC Sports, Dick Ebersol, had an ingenious solution. He knew his friends at Fox Sports longed to have me front their version of SportsCenter, and so he proposed the following. NBC would give my agent 10 days in which to negotiate two deals, a deal for me to go to L.A. and host Fox Sports News and Major League Baseball on Fox, and another deal in which Fox would pay NBC $1 million for my contract, like I was a mediocre baseball pitcher. Amazingly, it worked. I got what was then a record-breaking salary for any cable sportscaster ever. NBC got its million. And maybe most startlingly, NBC then asked me to stay on the air as a lame duck at MSNBC for like six weeks. Curiously, throughout my career, no matter how abrasive the exit, my lame duck employers have always, for some reason, trusted me to stay on their air even though I was leaving. In local news in Los Angeles once, I did this for three months. Anyway, at first, going to work at Fox Sports was a delight. Their news guys, the evil Roger Ailes and his henchman John Moody, pitched me on doing stuff for them, maybe co-anchoring with Bill O'Reilly. I'm serious. I passed. Sports, we spent money. I worked with friends. I didn't have to talk about politics. I could narrate highlights. I could do funny voices from way downtown. Bang. I lived on the beach. I mean, my next door neighbor was Hawaii. Every time there was a newspaper story about ESPN, even though our ratings were terrible, there was also my picture in it with a caption like, challenging ESPN. It was great. But then two things happened. The Fox guy who knew we needed five years at minimum just to tie ESPN in the ratings took me to lunch one day and said, Sorry, mate. My missus is moving back to England tomorrow with or without me. So I'm going. Good luck. He was replaced by guys who replaced the five-year plan with a five-week plan to raise the ratings by literally one-fifth of one point. I left that meeting in which they explained their suicidal plan and revealed that my salary represented an unsustainable 20% of their entire budget, and I called my real estate agent and put my house on the beach up for sale. Not long after, 
My doctor gave me a physical and a warning. Cut back on work and stress and everything else, or you can have a heart attack 10 years from now. I told my bosses this, and their response was to blackmail me. We have a clause in your contract which allows us to send you on the road once a week while you are still working five days in the studio. We're going to enforce that unless you kick back two-thirds of your salary. They put this in a document. There are, as the kids say, receipts. So, I folded to blackmail because two-thirds of $3 million a year is still pretty good. But I kept doing the job. In 1999, I broke a story that everybody laughed at, that Michael Jordan was unhappy in retirement and he wanted to come back to play in the NBA. But instead of getting a salary, he wanted an ownership stake in a team. Two years later, he did exactly that. In 2000, I got to host the first Mets-Yankees World Series, and hosting baseball every Saturday on Fox was a pretty good gig. And we were just gearing up for the 2001 baseball season when I got a tip on April 20th that the owners of the Los Angeles Dodgers had unofficially put their team up for sale. And in fact, they were talking to the old owners, the O'Malley family, about taking the Dodgers off their hands, selling the Dodgers back to the son of Walter O'Malley. This was a great scoop, but it had great danger because the owners of the Dodgers were Fox, my own employers. The next day, after getting this scoop, I made about 100 phone calls, and sure enough, I got the friend of a friend of a friend of my agent to confirm that he and his family were in preliminary discussions joining the O'Malley's to buy the Dodgers from Fox. Two sources, great scoop. And that night, I reached out to my bosses and said, what the hell do we do here? The story is solid. The Dodgers are for sale. But look, this is your candy store, and I do work for you. And if you don't want me to report this, I'm obviously not going to report it. And I'm not going to pout, and I'm not going to give the story to somebody else. My bosses replied, good for you. Why don't we all get on the phone with the top? Rupert Murdoch has his own personal News Corp public relations department. Let's see what he says. So on Sunday, April 22nd, 2001, we got Murdoch's own PR guy on the blower, and I explained it to him. Well, Mr. Murdoch has a policy about this. He never interferes in editorial decisions, not even in sourced business stories, not even if they involve him. So long as you make it clear your sources are not from within the company, and so long as you're confident in your sources, and so long as you include our denial, you should proceed with this Dodger story. That is what we are paying you for. For a brief moment, I thought, maybe I have misjudged Rupert Murdoch. Well, it turned out to be a very brief moment and a very wrong moment. I reported the story that night. Howls of denials. Five days later, though, the Long Beach Press-Telegram newspaper had its own story said, despite denials, Dodgers are for sale, with far more details than I had. And that really was the end of it. The team was unofficially for sale. Dodger fans who hated what Fox had done to the team seemed happy. And the vast, stinking pile of burning excrement that was Fox and News Corp and Murdoch sailed on unperturbed. But 12 days after that, just before I was getting in my car to go to the first Fox baseball meeting for our 2001 season coverage, the president of Fox Sports, yet another Aussie called David Hill, called my agent and told her, 
Keith's not doing any baseball for us this year. Business decision. Click. End of conversation. Nothing else. No firing. No get out. No clean out your desk. No announcement. But then, two days later, they turned off my access to the Fox computer system, and four days after that, they called and canceled my cable show. And then that night, I got two weird calls from Rich Sandemir, who was the TV sports critic and TV sports business reporter for the New York Times. And Rich asks me, so did you know you got fired by Rupert Murdoch personally? And I said, with genuine astonishment, that I not only didn't know that, but even given my thoughts about Rupert Murdoch, I didn't believe that. Well, that's what my sources at Fox tell me. Apparently your Dodger story really pissed him off, but, but really... And I said I had cleared it through his personal PR guy. I don't know, Rich Sandemir said. Apparently he was on vacation. And he got back like uh, the ninth of this month and he read all these stories about the Dodgers being for sale and how Fox Sports was the first to report it. And he called up David Hill and, and he told Hill to fire you immediately. So I told Rich, this is the first I have heard of this and I still don't believe it, even though the day he mentioned, May 9th, was the day David Hill had called my agent and told her I would not be doing baseball for Fox that year. An hour later, the phone rings again, and it's Rich Sandemir again, and he sounds shaken. I I I got it wrong. I I don't have any sources at Fox who told me Rupert fired you personally. My source uh, said that you were telling people Rupert had fired you personally over the Dodger story. And I gave Rich a sequence of, well, kind of friendly uh uh-huhs. And I said, no, I didn't. And no, you've never been dumb enough in your life to make the mistake you're saying you just made. And he said, well, I never said somebody at Fox said Murdoch fired you. Okay, thanks. Bye. The next day they had me come into the Fox building on Pico Boulevard and clean out my office while a guard watched. And she was a really nice guard. In fact, she brought donuts. What a lovely way to go out. As I packed, I thought more and more of what had happened in the month since I had gotten that tip about the Dodgers being for sale. As I left the Fox lot for the last time as an employee, I went back a couple of times to attend table reads for the Simpsons. Table reads for the Simpsons were much more fun than being an employee at Fox. I called a couple of reporters I knew and my agent and some people in the business, and we tried to put together a timeline that made some sort of sense. Because the slow motion firing thing, May 9th, you're not doing baseball. May 11th, your computer won't work. May 15th, your cable show is canceled. May 16th, clean out your office. A week-long firing made no sense. Until one reporter friend said, you know, Fox called me and said, call Keith up and provoke him. Get him to call us names. Tell him about this story in that paper calling him washed up. Get him going. And then it all clicked. My contract ran through the end of the year 2001 because Fox was firing me without any cause or even claiming there was a cause without any violation of my contract or their rules because I had left a trail of good behavior on the Dodger story. They were trying to enrage me and get me to say something nasty that itself would be a violation of my contract so they could outright fire me and keep the money. And the money still on the contract was about $800,000. Now, after decades of contemplating this, I am confident that I am no crazier than the next guy. At least not the next guy in television. But on my worst, 
craziest, least rational day. If you said you have two choices, Alderman, you can blow up these people who are firing you and you can make them look bad in a newspaper for a day and then they'll fire you and keep all the money they owe you or you can keep your big bazoo shut for just seven months. You can keep the $800,000 and you can spend the summer doing whatever the hell you want and you can then spend the rest of your natural life blowing these people up. If that's the choice, I will always take the scenario that gives me the $800,000 for doing nothing. Always. So, on January 1st, 2002, after the last Fox check cleared, I began making a professional avocation out of attacking Fox News, Fox Sports, Fox Business, Fox Murdoch, Fox O'Reilly, Fox, Tucker Carlson, whatever, and I got the $800,000. But there lingered for years this kind of academic question of whether Rupert Murdoch had actually fired me for having followed the rules set out by his own personal PR guy. As usual, these things resolve themselves when you least expect them to. Murdoch was speaking at a Dow Jones conference in Carlsbad, California on May 28th, 2008. Seven years to the month they got rid of me. And a story came across the wire with my name on it. The guy interviewing him at this conference talked about whether there should be dissenting voices on Fox, quote, news, unquote, like that guy who was killing it on MSNBC, Keith Olbermann. Now, Murdoch barked, I fired him five years ago. He was crazy. Timing was off, but there it was. Rupert Murdoch confessing in front of a crowd that he fired me personally. The red badge of courage, in quotes. I wondered if it still pissed him off that he had to pay me the $800,000 when I didn't take the grievance bait. Three years after that, Murdoch said it again, like I hadn't heard it the first time. On February 1st, 2011, Rupert Murdoch was interviewed by his business talking head, Neil Cavuto, who for some reason asked him if he would consider hiring me to put me on Fox News. No, we fired him once. We don't believe in firing people twice. Cavuto replied, you called him a nut. Well, he was a nut on, well, we had him on late night Fox Sports. There was never any such show called Late Night Fox Sports, but never mind. Roop went on. It was impossible. I fired him. He was crazy. Fired me for following his rules. And I was the one who was crazy. Finally, speaking of crazy, I have had for 63, nearly 64 years now, a love-hate relationship with the name Keith. But did you know that Rupert Murdoch's real first name is also Keith, but that rather than call himself Keith, he voluntarily chooses to call himself Rupert. I mean, sure, my name is Keith, but at least my name ain't freaking Rupert. calls themselves Rupert. Who deliberately chooses to call themselves Rupert? My name's Rupert. I've done all the damage I can do here to the name Rupert. 
Thank you for listening. Please subscribe if you're not doing so already and tell somebody else to do so. Here are our credits. Most of the music, including our theme from Beethoven's Ninth, was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. They are the Countdown musical directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis and appears courtesy of my friends at ESPN Inc. Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my ESPN friend, Tony Kornheiser. Everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 707th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him now while we still can. A new edition tomorrow. Until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare we are the voice of nascar the green flag is in the air and we are underway the great american race the motor racing network NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network.